Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. I want to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to do so, would you turn in God's Word to 1 John chapter 5? And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, the words will be here on the screen in just a moment. Today, we come to our final sermon in our series, More Than a Name, where we have been going kind of verse by verse, chapter through chapter, at the understanding that being a follower of Christ, it's more than just a title. Many people say, oh yes, I'm a Christian. I grew up in a Christian hall. My grandparents are Christians. My parents were Christians. I, I went to church on Christmas and Easter. I went through a confirmation class. I, I was even baptized. Yes, I'm a Christian. I, I give to help my neighbor in need. I'm a Christian. I, I'm conservative when it comes to certain values and principles. But there's more to being a Christian than merely proclaiming the name. The Bible makes it clear, that, loud and clear that being a Christian is ultimately about a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so today we come to our final message in 1 John chapter 5, and as we come there today and we turn to this passage of scripture, I want to begin with a question and then with an illustration that I hope will remind us of all that we have in Christ Jesus. My hope and prayer today is that if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you leave here today encouraged overwhelmed, amazed, and overjoyed at all that you have in Christ Jesus. But if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're going to church, maybe you're a good moral person, maybe you had that good background, but, but if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I hope and pray you will hear all that we have in Christ and you will realize that without a relationship with Christ, you're on the outside looking in and you need to be with Christ, all right? So here's the question this morning. Have you ever received a gift that was greater than you understood in the moment? Has anyone ever given you a gift that you were grateful to receive and you were, you were, you were amazed by someone's thoughtfulness and generosity, but frankly, like the Transformers, there was more to the gift than meets the eye in the moment? Have you ever been there before? Uh, let me illustrate that, and maybe this is a bad illustration in some ways, but let me just kind of unpack that a little bit. Heather and I, we got married on June the 21st of 2003. My wife is so thoughtful and generous to make sure that I'd never forget the date. She had it engraved in my ring, okay? That's how thoughtful she is. It has been easy for many years in ministry, it was easy to remember how many years we'd been married because it also rep represented the number of years I had been a pastor. Six days before Heather and I said I do, I was ordained into the ministry and on the same day, was welcomed as the pastor of the first church that God called me to at Good Shepherd Baptist Church in Christiansburg, Virginia. And it was a wonderful season of life and ministry. I became a pastor on June the 15th, 2003, and I became a husband on June 21st, 2003. It was an exciting summer in our lives, okay? And so I will never forget, Heather and I were in ministry together in Christiansburg, and the Lord bless us with four children. And in June of 2013, on a day of celebration, celebrating 10 years of ministry, at the end of the service, the church surprised me. And that is, they called Heather and I up onto the stage and they said, Pastor Matthew, you've been here 10 years. We simply want to say thank you and we'd like to give you a gift. And they, they gave me a card and one of the deacons prayed over me and it was a very special time. And we left the service that day and I opened the card and the card simply said, to celebrate 10 years of ministry here at the church, 
we'd like to bless you all with a 10-day vacation. Oh, that's exciting, right? This is really nice. And, and simply here, they gave this instruction. To make the arrangements, call this individual at this number. Well, I knew this individual. He was a member of the church. And so I thought, huh, that's interesting. I don't know how he relates to this gift, but it's a gift. So, so I called the gentleman. I said, man, thank you so much and, uh, for doing this, whatever's going on. And he said, absolutely. He said, well, it's our honor. It's our privilege. He said, Pastor Matthew, my family and I have had a timeshare for a long, long, long time. And, and we'd like to be a blessing to you. And so I'm going to give you a brochure and you just tell me where you want to go. And so he gave me the brochure. I talked to Heather about it. Heather said, what's the closest place to a beach? That's where we're going, you know? And sure enough, I found that the closest place to a beach happened to be Orlando, Florida, which is not on the coast for the record. It's not on the beach, but it's Florida and it was warm. And so I called him back. We set the dates and all that stuff. And, and he was very gracious about it. And sure enough, when the time came for our trip, the day before the trip, this guy pulls up, same guy, in a rental car that he brings to our house. And he's like, listen, y'all have got old vehicles. I don't think you're gonna make it there safely. So we've got your rental car. I'm like, man, this is awesome. So here are Heather and I. We're 10 years into marriage, 10 years into ministry. And we're on the road trip of our lives to Orlando, Florida. Now, please understand that when you've got little kids, you know what I'm talking about. Getaways like that are few and far between, right? And so when we got away, there was like all this amazing freedom. We were like, man, you know, we're gonna stop everywhere we want to. We stopped at flea markets and we stopped at like fruit stands and we, we looked up on the website, diners, dive-ins and drives. Where are all the places we can stop between Christiansburg, Virginia and Orlando, Florida? And we ate way too much food all the way to Orlando. Okay, it was awesome, awesome, awesome. We get to Orlando, we get to the resort, we walk to the front desk and, and I tell the guy our name and I give him our confirmation number and I'll never forget him looking at the computer and he says, oh, 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 and, you know, and the deeper his O's got, the more I thought, this isn't good. They've lost our reservation. You know, like we're gonna be sent back home, right? Because I'm thinking the shoe's about to drop. And about that time, he motions for this guy to come over. Hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. This guy comes over here and he looks at us and then he introduces us and he says, our VIP guests. And he kept saying, these are our VIPs. And I was like, that's right, I am a VIP. Thank you very much, you know, and, this guy literally takes out of his pockets these bracelets. He puts these bracelets on our arm. Then he walks off into the back area. He comes out with this big old basket. I mean, this thing is like wrapped. I mean, it's like glorious. Like the angels of heaven were singing around it. It was amazing. And I could see there was chocolate and there was fruit. And I was like, what in the world? So sure enough, they get our bags. They take us to our room. And I mean, before we're even sitting down, I'm opening this thing up. I'm like, I want some chocolate. This is great, you know? And I begin to look through and I see, oh, there's a, there's a book here of all the amenities and all the things that are available to us because we're VIPs. Oh, and if you wanna get off the resort, here's some things that you can do for free and here's some things that are discounted. And I'm thinking, this is, this is insane. Like I've never experienced anything like this before. That week, everywhere we went, someone would holler out, VIPs. They're, they're the VIPs, look at the bracelet. They're the VIPs. And we got the absolute royal treatment. Why did we get that? It wasn't because we'd earned it. it. Wasn't because we deserved it. To be honest with you, I'd never even heard of this resort before. I didn't even know this place existed in the world. You know why we were treated that way? We were treated that way because someone who was a VIP called ahead and said, they are with me. Because that person made my reservation, because that person paid the cost, because that person did all the work and made all this available to us, we were literally treated like royalty all because of what someone else had done for us. I want you to see this morning in 1 John chapter 5, now that illustration breaks down because I want you to know day 10 came really, 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 really fast. 
probably the most painful day of my life was like, we gotta go back, you know, this is horrible. But no, not really, I love my kids. It was great to see them again, okay? And I love ministry for the record. It was great to be back with the church family. But my point is, we didn't realize in that moment that we were receiving this gift, how amazing the gift really was. And can I just say to you this morning that there is no gift like the gift of salvation. And can I confess this morning that many years ago, almost three decades ago now, when I was in that moment where I realized I was a sinner in need of salvation, and I realized that, it, that without Christ, I would be guilty in my sins for all of eternity, that without Christ, I would spend an eternity separated from God in hell. In that moment, I realized that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Three decades ago, I prayed and said, God, please forgive me. I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. Please be the Lord of my life. And in that moment, moment, God forgave me and he cleansed me. He saved me and he gave me the promise of heaven. And while that gift is amazing, there is a whole lot more to the riches of salvation than I realized just in that moment that I said yes to Jesus. I want you to see loud and clear this morning that if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, there's a whole lot more to that gift than meets the eye. I want us to see this morning who we are in Christ, all that is available through Jesus. I wanna preach you this morning on the subject, our identity in Christ. And if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no better time than the present to say yes to him. Let's read together. First John chapter five, if you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Here's what the Bible says. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. And the testimony is this, listen to this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life and he who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, somebody say the word know, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give for him, give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. Key verse, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And another key word, we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Final verse, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Our identity in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the way you've brought us together. Would you speak to our hearts and lives today to encourage us and to comfort us for those who are in Christ? 
And for those who aren't in Christ, I pray today, God, that you would expose that reality in their life and draw them to that place of salvation so that they too can be in Christ. And may it all be for his glory and praise. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Our identity in Christ. Much of the world today makes a big deal about our individual identities. We hear messages like, be your own person. You do you. Be who you want to be. Live life to the fullest. You do whatever, frankly, you desire to do. And as a result of that, we often all set out to discover who we are so that we can be our own person and live our best life now. And in the process of that, many of us, in the context of our culture, begin to find our identity in many different things. For example, many find their identity in their possessions. They define themselves by the cars that they drive, the houses that they live in, the devices and technology that they use, whether it's Microsoft or Apple, for example. They define themselves by their clothes or their shoes, whether it's name brand or not. They define themselves by their possessions. Others find their identity in their people. They brag about who they know. They brag about who they met along the way. They brag about how many followers they have on Facebook or, how many, or, or, or on social media, how many friends they have on Facebook. You can tell that I'm a social media expert. Many find their identity about their parties. They define themselves by how they vote, whether it is Republican or Democrat. They define themselves by their party, whether it's Star Wars or Star Trek, whether it's Coke or Pepsi, whether it's Alabama or all the other losers. They define themselves by their party. Others define themselves by their power, whether they're the boss or whether they're the low man on the totem pole, whether they're the person that has all the wealth and influence or whether they're a voice that's rarely heard. They define themselves by such way. Others in our culture today identify themselves by their practices. They wear a mask or they don't. They get vaccinated or they don't. They're churchgoers or they aren't. They're the life of the party or they're the leave me aloneers, right? Like they're defined themselves by their practices. Many identify themselves even by their pleasures. They're thrill seekers or they're bird watchers. They're sports fans or for God forbid, sci-fi fans. They're entertainers or spectators along the way, but we define ourselves and our identities in very, very many different ways. But all of those definitions have something in common. That is this. They have no eternal value or significance. Now I tease about Alabama and I tease about different things along the way, but it is merely teasing because I know there is no eternal value in cheering for a certain team, voting a certain way, wearing a mask or not. When it all boils down to it, God looks at us through one lens and that is this. You are in Christ or you're not. You belong to God and you're his child, or you're not. You've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, brought into his family, or you have not. And I believe what God is calling us to really consider as we wrap up this series and wrap up this pastor scripture is simply this. Are you in Christ? The question is not, do you go to church? The question is not, are you a member of that church? The question is not, how did you grow up? The question is not, did you go through confirmation classes? The question is not, were you baptized? The question is not, how did you vote? The question is not, did you vaccinate or not? The question that God is calling us to consider is simply this, are you in Christ? 
And if the answer is no, you can be in Christ today. And if the answer is yes, to God be the glory, I want you to hear about the amazing gift that God gave you when you were forgiven of your sins and experienced the gift of salvation. Greater than any temporary goodie basket that you might receive, God is simply saying, hey, if you're in Christ, let me tell you what all this entails. There's four things I want you to see in this text this morning about our identity in Christ. The first thing I want you to see loud and clear about our identity in Christ is this. In Christ, we are certain of eternal life. In Christ, we are certain of eternal life. See, what God is bringing us to loud and clear in this pastor scripture is the reminder that if you have Christ, frankly, you have everything. But if you don't have Christ, it doesn't matter what you have in this world. Frankly, you ultimately have nothing. The apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three was in a place where he's looking back over his life and he's considering in his flesh who he was before Christ. Before Christ, the apostle Paul had influence and he had power, he had a name of respect, he, he had religion, he had people who looked to him for direction and he had everything going for him. But when he came to know Christ, Paul basically lost everything. But listen to the value that he found in Christ. Philippians chapter three says it this way. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them but rubbish. Listen to this. So that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. And he goes on to talk about the righteousness that we have in Christ. What Paul is saying loud and clear is this. I can have everything this world has to offer, but I'm telling you today, now that I know Christ, all that other stuff is just junk. It's just garbage. It's just rubbish compared to the fact that I can be found in Christ. In Christ, there are so many wonderful truths that God shows us. And the first thing that he shows us is this. We are certain of eternal life. Verses nine through 13, John is giving us an incredible word. And he's basically saying to us, God has testified to this. God has testified today so that you can know with absolute certainty that you have eternal life. That word for testify is very important. It literally means that God has gone on record. It is absolutely emphatic. It is declared, it is true, and nothing of this world will ever change this fact. Please understand today, there's a lot of people who say, hey, you, they, they know things. Fauci has claimed to be the expert in the context of the virus, and yet things have constantly been changing. Economists claim to know how to get the market moving forward, but it doesn't seem to be moving forward very, very much. Meteorologists claim to know the truth about the weather, and yet 50% of the time, they're completely wrong, aren't they? Many people in the world, they, I know, I know, I know, but God says, no, 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 I know. And I am omniscient, I know all things. Let me tell you about the testifying that I do. That word testify literally means to go on record and to declare. Uh, many years ago now, when Heather and I did live in Christiansburg, I'll never forget one day getting a knock at the door. It happened to be my day off. And I opened the door and I saw a gentleman there with a shirt and tie and a gun in this holster. And I immediately thought, I hope this guy's a friend, you know? And he told me that he was an investigator. And he went on to tell me that one of our neighbors who, who lived up the road from us and back behind some woods, you couldn't see their house from the road, but we knew who the family was. He told us that their house had been broken into earlier in the week and many of their belongings had been stolen. And so he asked me, did you see anything earlier this week? And I said, well, tell me exactly when it was. And he began to tell me. And, and to be honest with you, I couldn't remember anything. And I said, man, I, I'm sorry, I wish. He left and 
Over the next day or two, I began to really think back that specific date and that specific situation. And, and then I did remember something. I remembered kind of an odd situation. We lived on a country road. And so if people came to our house, they came with intentionality. And I remember, you know, about that same day, I can't say exactly when it was, but we had a door-to-door salesman who came by our house. And I remember the company that he claimed to represent because the company's name was on the side of his van. And then I began to think about his behavior and think about, you know, there were some things about that that were just, they were just a little off, if that makes any sense at all. So I, so I called the guy back and I said, hey, listen, I, I don't know if this helps at all, but we had a door-to-door salesman. Here was the situation. Here was the company he represented. But I, I noticed something interesting. The tag was not from Virginia. And I told him about his behavior and he said, well, man, that, that's odd. Let me, let me look into that. And so I didn't hear anything from this guy. Life goes on. I forget all about it. Three months later, I get a phone call from this guy and he calls me to say, hey, listen, we found the guy. We had other reports. In fact, we began to ask, and many of them had the same salesman. They expressed the same type of behavior. We think we have enough evidence, but in order to get this warrant to go further, I may need you to come in and write a statement as a testimony of what you saw. Would you be willing to do that? And I was like, man, absolutely, anything I can do. You know what he's asking me to do? He was saying, listen, would you come down here? Would you literally write this out so that we have an official written record of exactly what you saw? And of course, I was happy to do that. What God is saying loud and clear is this. I have given you an official written testimony, a record of who my son is and what is available to all mankind through him. What has he testified? He's testified two things. Number one, he's testified that Jesus is indeed the Christ. It means that God has testified through his word that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the savior of the world. See, understand this morning that when Jesus came, he came literally to this world as the son of God to make a way for all of us to be made right with God. In the previous verses in 1 John chapter five, he tells us that Jesus testified, that God testified of this through the water and through the blood. Now that sounds strange to us in our culture today, but let me illustrate that. God testified that Jesus was his son through the water of baptism. In Luke chapter three, verses 21 through 22, the Bible tells us that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Listen to what happened when he was. When all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out of heaven. Listen to what God the Father said. You are, not one of, but you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. There in that moment, literally the disciples and everybody's looking on as Jesus is baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus and the Father says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God through the water testified that Jesus was the son of God. But not only did he testify through the water, he testified through the blood. Jesus came, lived a sinless life and yet he would be crucified because he was giving his life for your sins and for mine. And the Bible tells us in Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 27, there is Jesus, he's been beaten, he's been spat upon, he's been mocked, he's been stripped of his garments, and there he is carrying his cross up to Calvary. They stretch out his arms and they stretch out his feet and there they nail him to a tree. The Bible tells us that the Roman centurion was put responsible for making sure that Jesus indeed died. But listen to what happened in Matthew 27. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up a spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened, listen to this. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep 
were raised. Now, I don't know if that'll get your attention. If that don't get attention, I don't know if it will. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Listen to this. Now the centurion, the same man who was responsible for making sure that Jesus was killed on the cross, the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened and said, truly, this was the son of what? God, the same men who tortured Jesus and crucified him were then turning around looking to Jesus and saying, surely Jesus is indeed the son of God. You know the reason why the world tries to dismiss the validity of the Bible? You know the reason why the enemy tries to fill your life with all sorts of distractions and foolishness? Is because the Bible is God's written record. He has gone on record to say, Jesus is my son. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he's the only way to me. God has spoken through his word, through the water, and even through the blood to say, yes, Jesus is the Christ. But also to testify that it is only through Jesus that you and I can experience eternal life. The only way you and I can be saved, it's not going through religious works, it's not going and giving confession, it's not going and just worshiping whatever God you want to. The only way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. John 3, 16 says it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have what? Eternal life. First John summarizes it so simply in verse 12. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. If you have your faith in Jesus Christ, you can know with certainty the joy and the gift of eternal life. But if you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you don't have eternal life. In Christ, our identity in him is simply this. We have the certainty of knowing that we have eternal life, but we're just getting started. In Christ, there's a second wonderful truth, and that is this. In Christ, we are confident that our prayers are heard. In Christ, we are confident that our prayers are heard. Here in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, God says something interesting. Here's what he says. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Many times we look at prayer as if prayer is flicking the penny in the wishing well. Many times we, we, we come in prayer, we talk to God in prayer and we just kind of hope, well, maybe he's listening, I don't really know. Sometimes we're praying and we wonder if our prayers are getting through the ceiling. Sometimes we feel like we're just talking to a wall. We're not certain of things. But God tells us loud and clear that if you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you don't have to look at your prayer life like the Verizon guy walking all over the place asking, can you hear me now? 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 When you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and live a life that brings glory and honor to him, you can have the absolute confidence and assurance that God is hearing your prayers. It's amazing to me when you study all throughout the Bible, frankly, and even throughout the culture today, the desperate measures that people will go to in hopes that their prayers are heard by God or whatever higher being they're putting their faith in. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we see the, 
the false prophets of Baal. They are at a challenge with Elijah on Mount Carmel and they are so desperate for Baal to hear their prayers that the Bible says they, they get up and they, they dance around the altar and then they jump on the altar. They're so desperate for their false God to answer, they begin to cut themselves. But their God never answered. You know why? Because their God was a false, dead, lifeless God. Even the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they claimed to believe in the living God of heaven. They claimed to believe in Jehovah, the God of the Jews. And yet the Bible says, frankly, they had settled for a religion that was completely man-made. Jesus looked at them in Mark chapter 12, and here's what he says. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devours widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. They prayed these long prayers so that people would see them. They prayed these long prayers and surely God's gonna hear these long prayers because frankly, they were impressed with themselves. The fact of the matter is they didn't see God work and move because their religion was frankly about their own man-made religion, not about actually knowing God. Even throughout the context of the world, you begin to study church history and the movements of the church, you begin to recognize and understand along the way there have been various groups and various settings that came in because men are so desperate to see that God would answer their prayer. Others have taken advantage of that. When you go study the history of the Catholic Church and their sale of indulgences and what they began to do to basically make a way that they could make money off of convincing people that their prayers would be heard, you begin to recognize that people will go to desperate measures in hopes that God will answer their prayers. Even today, many flock every year to, to the Scala Santa in Rome where they climb the holy stairs, supposedly walk by Jesus, and there they are assured as they sacrifice and as they climb these stairs upon their knees that God will be close to them and hear their prayers. Even Muslims today, many Muslims are most faithful and sincere people in the way that they pray, but they, they, they come to their God, Allah, and they hope that, they hear, that he hears them. They pray five times a day. They go through a ritual cleansing. They, they have to be dressed a certain way. They kneel a certain way. They bow a certain way if they're able to do so, and they go through all these different things. Why? Because they have a hope that their God will hear them. But I remind us loud and clear today that the reason that the Muslims and the Pharisees went to such rigid and legalistic rules is because their actions were based on man-made religion. Man-made religion always leads to actions and works, but it does not change the heart because it does not save the soul. Those who are Christians, we are in Jesus Christ, the beloved son of God. And because of our relationship with him, because of who we are in him, we have the confidence that God hears our prayers. Because he is a friend who sticks closer than the brother, because he is our intercessor, we have confidence that our prayers are heard. Romans 8 says it this way, Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. 1 Peter 2, 9 literally says to us that everyone in Christ is a part of a royal priesthood and Jesus is our high priest. That means today you do not have to go through a bishop. You don't have to go through a pope. You don't have to go through an imam. You don't even have to go through a pastor. You don't need me is what I'm saying. A lot of job security in that, right? You have direct access to God through Jesus Christ, through him. And what God is saying to us loud and clear is this. Not only will he hear our prayers, he wants us to come to him. God's not just saying, hey, listen, listen up, people. Quit, quit wallowing in the discouragement. Quit living in despair. Quit living in all distractions. Like, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing your prayers. God is saying, I want you to come to me. 
First Peter chapter five, verses six and seven. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety, all your cares, all your worries on him. Why? Because he cares for you. God is saying loud and clear, you can come to me anytime, from anywhere, over anything, because I care for you. I love you. And like a father or a mother who loves their children and is looking out for them, God is saying, I love you, I'm here, and I'm listening. There are some throughout the years who have taken these verses of Scripture in verses 14 and 15 and have kind of twisted the truth to say, oh, this means here that God says we'll get anything we ask for, and, and if God doesn't get it, that means he must not be true. That's not what the Bible's saying here. God is not saying that you're gonna get everything you ask for. God is too loving of a father to give us everything we ask for. If you're a parent here, you know that your children can sometimes ask for things that sound good to them that you know is not for their good, right? And so if you're a loving parent, you're looking out for them. You probably see things that your children don't see. You understand things that your children don't understand. And as a result of that, sometimes you'll say to them to wait. And sometimes you'll say to them, no. But you do so because you're a loving parent. God does not say yes to everything we ask because he is loving and he is kind and he is omniscient. He knows all things. But let me give you four simple principles for effective prayer. And I'm just gonna say them quickly. I don't have a lot of time to deal with them in our text because there's two other wonderful things that we see in Christ. Just four simple keys to effective prayer. Number one, live your life to please the Lord. James 5.16 says this, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. If you are living your life in sin, going your own direction, doing your own thing, and you feel like God's not answering your prayer, it's probably because God's not hearing your prayer. Listen to what it says in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not what? Hear. So the key to effective prayer is live a life devoted to the Lord. Second, whatever you're praying about, commit the matter to prayer and see it through. Many people have ineffective prayer lives because they pray at once and give up and never persevere. The Bible says this in Matthew 7, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And the Greek context here is continue action. It's literally Jesus saying, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. Even the disciples in that moment of temptation were not able to watch and pray for one hour. It's like God is saying, keep on persevering. Don't give up. I can still do the impossible. Third, Pray according to the will of God. Jesus himself taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray according to the will of God. God does not have to answer any prayer according to your will. He answers prayers according to his own will because he knows what is best and what is for our good and ultimately brings him glory. And fourth, pray in Jesus's name. Pray in Jesus's name. That may sound so, so, so very simple, but many Christians today, for various reasons, Pray prayers that would be perfectly acceptable in any religious gathering of any religion in the world. Their prayers are so anonymous that there is no clarity in who they're talking to or by what basis they come. Jesus said in John 14, verses 13 through 14, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Be clear in the basis by which you come. Number three, you're still with me, would you say all right? I feel like I'm preaching really fast. I hope you're listening fast this morning. Our identity in Christ, we are certain of eternal life. We are confident that God hears our prayer. Number three, in Christ, 
We are conquerors over sin. In Christ, we are conquerors over sin. I was recently talking with someone who was openly discussing how difficult a struggle was in their life. And they began to tear up as they began to describe and ask the question, this is so difficult. How can I have victory? This is so difficult. How can I have victory over this temptation in my life? This is so difficult. How can I overcome this struggle? This is so difficult. How can I, can I get victory over this is what they're asking. Here's the key. I can't do it on my own and you can't do it on your own. But here's the wonderful truth. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us, gave his life for us and gives the victory to us. We are conquerors over sin in Christ Jesus. Listen to the statement in verse 18. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Many people hear these verses of scripture in verses 16 and 17 and the age old question that people wanna ask, well, what sin is he talking about here? He talks about a sin leading to death or a sin not leading to death. And what's the magical sin that John's talking about? Because I wanna make sure I don't do that one. You know, like I'm okay doing these other sins, but I don't wanna do the one that God's gonna strike me dead with. Like let's avoid that if we can. Truth be told, I don't think that John's talking about a specific sin. I don't think John's saying now, now if you do this one, it's the worst of the worst. It's the most horrible ever. And God's just gonna strike you down. I think there's many evidences in scripture of people who lived sinfully and did sinful things. And in the process of their sin, God called them out. One of the things that almost all of them have in common, frankly, is a proud and flippant attitude towards the things that grieve the heart of God. Go study the Old Testament, go study the book of Acts, go study the church at Corinth, and you begin to find when people have pride to think they can do whatever they wanna do with little repercussions or costs, and they have an arrogance about that, and they take lightly the sin that they're committing against God, there are many biblical evidences where God says, you're done. But I think what God is ultimately bringing us to in 1 John is this. It's not trying to identify the one sin He's calling us to identify the victory that we have over sin. See, when he says in that statement, we know that no one is born of God since, it's all dealing with the context of what we've already read in 1 John. For illustration, 1 John chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 says this, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God, key word again, practices sin because his seed abides in him. The key word is practice. What God is saying loud and clear is this. When you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. And the Holy Spirit within you, the new nature of God within you, begins to mold you, begins to transform you. And in that process, he begins to set you free from the sins that used to hold you bound. He changes you literally from the inside out. So does that mean that we're perfect? No, does that mean that we won't fall short? Of course not. Does that mean that, if we, that we will continue down that path? The answer is no. The fact is when you and I accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, and we are set free. We still have this old nature. We still have this flesh that we struggle with, but we don't continue down that path. We don't continue practicing the same old things. Why? Because we're a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. First John tells us three enemies that war against us, that always cause us, uh, always cause us trouble. These three enemies always are constantly trying to tempt us away from the Lord and towards sin. Those enemies are Satan, the world, the culture that's opposed to God and the things of God, and even our flesh. But in all these things, he tells us loud and clear, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. That's why he literally tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16, don't love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it is from the world. What God is saying loud and clear is this, we have victory over sin. We have victory over Satan because Satan was already defeated when Jesus died and rose again from the grave. We have victory over the world because this world and this broken system and structures, it's all fading away. Guess what? We even have victory over the flesh because one day this rotten old flesh is gonna be transformed into a glorified new body. So today, the only power that Satan, the world, and the flesh has over us is the power we yield to it. When you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And we can walk in victory today. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter six, and we'll move on, is simply this. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul said it best, for I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm still alive. And the life I now live today, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not living for the old me. I'm not living for my old flesh. I'm not living for the world. And I'm certainly not living for the devil. I'm living through the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm walking in victory. There's a fourth wonderful truth, and we'll close, in our identity in Christ. We are certain of eternal life. We are confident that God hears our prayer. We are conquerors over sin. And finally, in Christ, don't miss it. It's simple, but it's so good. In Christ, we are called the children of God. Listen to what the Bible says in verses 19 and 20. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. In Christ, we are children of God. 13 times in these five little chapters, God refers to us in one simple and yet powerful, affectionate term. It is the term children, children. You know, there may be a lot of titles that you carry today. You might be called a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad, you might be called a brother or a sister, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, a boss, an employee. There's a lot of titles you can carry. But there is no greater title and no greater opportunity, no greater joy than being called a child of God. First John chapter three, verse one says it this way. See how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called the children of God 
and such we are. When that verse says, see how great a love, it's like God is saying, listen, don't take it for granted. Think for just a moment, sit back and reflect on it. Consider all the great ways God has poured out his love for you so that you might become a child of God. I was reminded of that this week. I, I'm not on social media very often, but somebody sent me a link to something and I, I went to, to watch it and I was on Facebook and as I was scrolling down, there's a young couple here at Crosslink who just had their first child. And, and, and this it caught my attention for many reasons. I've been praying for them. I had the amazing privilege of going through premarital counseling with this couple and officiating their ceremony. And so I've been keeping up with them and knowing how the pregnancy was going and all those things. And the baby was born. And what caught my attention was the post of the mother who said, our, our little girl is born. And here's what she said. I never knew a love like this existed. Now, I'm not here to parse her theology or anything like that here today, but what she was describing in that moment of joy as a mother was, this love is so amazing. I can't imagine anything else in the world to describe this love that I have for my child. Well, as great and as precious and as wonderful as that is, and I celebrate with them, there is a greater love and that is a love that God showed when he sent his son Jesus to the cross to make a way for you and I to be forgiven and to be saved and to be adopted into his family. John closes with a final word. And here's how we're gonna close our series. Here's how we're gonna close this message. I'm gonna ask Pastor Scott to come out and begin preparing to lead us in worship. John closes in the most unique way with this book. He's closing with this reminder, of, hey, if you're in Christ, you know that you have eternal life, victory over sin. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God. But then John throws us a curveball because he closes with a word of warning. Listen to the warning in verse 21. Little children, that's us who are in Christ. Guard yourselves from idols. Isn't that so weird? Why, why would John give us these wonderful truths? These are evidences that you're a child of God. This is how you know that over 30 times in this book, we see 30 times in five chapters, you can know that you're saved. You can know you're a child of God. You can know you're in Christ. You can know it by experience, by relationship. You can know, you can know, you can know. It's awesome. But let me tell you a word of warning. Guard yourself from idols. See, the people in John's day lived in a culture that was opposed to God and the things of God. The, the people in John's day, the, the, John, the, the believers, they lived in a culture where the world was saying, listen, if you wanna experience the fullness of life, seek this pleasure, seek this experience, seek this possession, and then you're gonna have it all. That's gonna be life to the fullest. This is awesome. Look at this thing you can do. Look at this sexual experience you can experience. Look at this knowledge that you can receive. Look at this wisdom that's offered to you today. And here's all these different things. And the Christians then were frankly facing the same temptations that we face today. To see the ways of the world, to listen to the voices of the world, and to be distracted. To begin to buy the lie of the enemy, the fool's gold that's sparkling, and begin to accept idols in their life. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, the idols were literally statues. People made them. 
They made them ornate and beautiful and they looked like certain beings. They would have ears and eyes and nose and mouth and all these different things. And people would bow to them and worship. Oh, people, pastor, we don't have idols anymore. Like we don't, we don't make those statues anymore. Can I just remind you, the world is surrounding us with all sorts of idols that frankly only have as much value as we place on them. Many of us look to other things and give in to all these messages. These, well, I've got to experience this. I, I, I've got to have that. I, I, I've got to go this direction. I, I've got to go there. I've got to have this experience. I've I got to do all these different things. I've I got to pursue this. And some of them are even like decent things. They're not like horrible. But the problem along the way is if it's not leading us to Christ, it can be very easy for us to put Christ on the side, on the shelf. Well, yeah, Christ, that's, that's who I focus on on Sundays. And for us to live our life pursuing all these other things. So, so my question today is really simple, and that is, are you in Christ? And where are you finding your identity today? If you're finding your identity, well, well we're a travel sports family. That's great. That can teach you some kids some decent, decent moral lessons. I'm not opposed to it. I coach travel soccer for a long time. But if you're not defined by who you are in Christ, it's worthless. Well, I'm defined. I, I, bless God, I'm a Republican. I'm a Republican. Okay. That doesn't put your name in Land's Book of Life. That, that, that doesn't lead you to an eternal purpose for living for God's glory. Well, I, I define, I mean, I, I drive this car. I've got this name brand. I, I live in this house. I got this, this material possession. That's great. Guess what? It's just going to be fuel for the fire when God destroys it in the future. But the question is, are we in Christ? And are we living and finding our identity in him? Because all this other stuff, in the end, it's not going to matter. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.